Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That's fucking minging, that. I tell you what, David, it's fucking men against fucking boys all over the fucking park. It's fucking weak as piss, they are. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rogue Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after, well, what probably can only be described as the worst day of the season. Sunderland stuffed 5-1 at home by Alex Neal with Dwight Gale scoring two of the goals, someone who's never scored all season, giving it the old uh, Newcastle celebration as he scored his first one. I mean... As afternoons go, it was about as bad as it gets. So, um, yeah, we've got a slightly bigger cast of characters today. There's me, obviously, uh, with regular Chris. Hello, mate. Hello, Gav. You sound far too jovial, mate. I've just had a cup of tea. I'm buzzing, man. Um, <laughs> also with us is Phil. Hey, mate. Hi, Gav. And Craig, who only comes on when there's something to whinge about. <laughs> Isn't that right? Craig. I think so, yeah. I feel like the bat signal goes up every time after a massive defeat. I was on after the Bolton game last season, so I think it's probably apt that I'm on after the worst defeat so far this season, so right, let's yeah, get stuck were, in. You were clamming to get on, like, weren't you, when we were asking that full time? You demanded we wait for you. Well, here we go. Yeah, well, we record this, uh, well, what, about maybe four hours since the uh, full time whistle, and yeah, it was... Absolutely disgraceful from Sunday, let's be honest. I mean, we, me in particular, I, I like, I try always look on the positive side of things, but there is literally nothing to be positive about. I mean, on the back of this game, is there, Craig? I mean, I, I, I've, I've sat and reflected on it the last couple of hours and tried to try to come to terms with sort of what I watched and and everything. I mean, just give us your general potted thoughts on, on the performance, what went wrong and why... We are sat here talking about Sunderland 1, Stoke 5. Well, often when we do these pods, sometimes I think a couple of hours after a game, it can, when when it's like this reactionary and everybody's this sort of worked up about it still, I think sometimes you can maybe give like an unfair assessment. And I've, I've thought about it multiple times since. And I'm pretty convinced that that second half today is the worst second half, probably the worst performance actually I've ever seen from Sunderland side. That takes into account the Bolton game last season. I've watched us get beat six, seven and eight in all of the years supporting Sunderland, but it was absolutely humiliating. Exposed for what we are, exposed for what we've been mm. in the past week. The annoyance is it looks like it could have been very, very avoidable. We've all highlighted the deficiencies in the side over the course of the past few performances, even the few performances before that, some games perhaps what we got away with, but today we were just undone by silly mistakes that would prove very, very costly. We'll come up against pace and power, which we have done in the past couple of games, and we just simply cannot cope with it. Of course, people will point to the lack of strikers, which is absolutely fine, but the midfield today, abysmal defence. I mean, if you look at it, Christ almighty, it was a defensive masterclass in the sense from having 41-year-old Phil Jagielka basically keeping everybody at bay on one side of the pitch, and we've got you know Danny Bart, who was Stoke City's best defender once upon a time, and young Dan Ballard. And they just got absolutely torn to shreds. And like I say, I think from the offset, it looked very avoidable. The team that was set up, I think, was the wrong team. I think Tony Mowbray's persistence with some individuals within the team probably needs to be questioned. And I just, I think it was, it was like I say, it was humiliating. And my concern is we've, we've got some really big, tough games coming up. That today was yeah. a game. If you take the Alex Neil factor away from it, we should be beating teams like Stoke at home. 
and ultimately yeah. that's that's the worst defeat I would ever see at the Stadium of Light. It's up there, like, isn't it, Chris? It's it's very, very close. I mean, I can't think of many worse defeats than that. I mean, when you take obviously Craig just touched on it there, the Alex Neal factor, obviously we wanted to we wanted to get one over on him, show him why he was wrong to walk away from Sunland and try and get the season uh, back on track. Certain lads who weren't given a chance by him earlier in the season, you were hoping for them to turn up and they didn't. It was poor all round. You can take that out of the equation for me. T- take the, the whole Alex Neil thing out of the equation and it, like and it's and it's still embarrassing. I mean be, because mm-hmm. not not the not just the five one, just the, the the whole performance was embarrassing. I, I don't think I mean, I've just been looking at my notes. I don't think we had a... Um, I don't know what the stats say, but uh, the stats might be lying if they say we had a shot on target because I can't really remember one. Other than Four, apparently. <laughs> we had four shots four, on target. Four, according to the stats. I mean, I, I can remember the, the 9 deflection one. Um, maybe Ahmad, the one at the um, early doors where they deflected it. But, I mean, we, we created absolutely nothing. I mean, Craig, you've just made the point about talking about our midfield. I mean, to be fair, we didn't really pick a midfield. I mean, no. t- the back four, Dan Neal, and then you've got basically almost, you know, all right, there's differences between them, but the same type of player four times, Pritchard, Ahmad, Roberts and Clark. I mean, all right, they've got different, they've got different kind of attributes. One, you know, might be more piercey than others, but they're all attacking midfielders. They're all they're all midf- attacking midfielders who can play either wide or just behind a a striker or two strikers, and four of them, like we Gav Gav's been banging on the last two or three podcasts, saying like and and we've ended up discussing it as well that our main deficiency has been winning the ball in midfield and losing that battle, and everyone's and and we've been screaming out for someone to to put those tackles in to put that foot in, and he. And it like at least Mishu was doing it kind of at least he was halfway there, but you take Mishu out and put Pritchard in, you, you've taken you, you've completely just left Dan Neil on his own, who isn't in form himself. So someone who's struggling for form, just to say, oh well, you're struggling for form in a two. Now I'm just going to leave you alone in front of a back four, and you're going to play behind four players who aren't going to bust a gut to get back. I mean. I, you can we'll go into that because don't get us wrong the players are playing below par but I mean the first port of call for me for us to talk about is just that that team selection because mm-hmm. even now looking at it, I'm staring yeah. at it though I, I wrote the yeah. formation I was trying to work it out beforehand and I still don't I still don't understand it no it it, it was nonsensical wasn't it Phil the, the team selection just I mean yeah. when I was standing there and I was in the concourse at two o'clock um, and when that team came out I had a feeling of doom in my stomach because I, I thought, bet you felt like turning round, did you? <laughs> I did, I, yeah, I have to be honest with you. I did it because you look at that team selection. You think he's picking two ball-playing midfielders behind four orthodox attackers. This is suicidal from Tony Mowbray, and they were never going to work as a midfield two. Pritchard and Neil were never ever going to work as a midfield mm-hmm. two. And by ten to five, when we'd been ripped and ripped and ripped apart time and time and time again, everything that we were worrying about before the game had came true, Gav. So. For me, Morbury, I think Chris is absolutely spot on here. Tony Morbury got the team selection, particularly in midfield, completely wrong. He's being too loyal to players who are out of form. We've got a big, powerful box-to-box midfielder in Pierre Equa who can't get a look in. Or Nyan probably could have came into the equation today as well. And I think Morbury has to shoulder a lot of the responsibility. Mm. The players didn't perform, as Chris and Chris and Craig have rightly said. But I think Morbury was was certainly at fault, and I think there's going to be questions asked, and rightly so, in my opinion. But this is the just quickly, Gav, you mentioned it, and kind of Phil's just touching on it as well that there's players there, but for some reason Morbury is not trusting. Like there's a bench of players who could who could do a job, but he's not trusting. He's, he's not trusting any of them. And me and Phil talked during the week, and I says I I, I says I bet you I, that he he won't make a change, and I I couldn't believe the change he made, but. He's, hmm. For some reason, he's sticking with them and he trusts none of those players that he's got on the bench. If you look at their midfield, they've got Smallbone, who's, never mind his name, he's big. <laughs> big lad, big rangy midfielder. Ben Pearson, good player at this level. Josh Laron's their best player. That midfield three is solid. You can see what you see what you like about Stoke, the, the, the way they've played this season and stuff. That is a solid midfield and we picked one central midfielder. And paired him with Alex Pritchard, who, I mean, what is he now, really? You know, he's 
he'd done a very good job for us in, in League One, but he struggled really this season. To play him, I know he did all right against QPR with O'Neill. O'Neill is the is the glaring omission in that team. I just don't understand it. You know, he was man of the match at QPR playing midfield. I keep, I, I'm repeating myself. Yeah, I've said this on every podcast I've been on since that game. He was man of the match in that game. Ran the show. I mean, we we've all read that um, really good match report that the QPR fan wrote of the game, and there was a massive section devoted to O'Neill just talking about how jealous they were of the fact we had a player that good. He hasn't had a look in the midfield since. He came on at left-back. He's played right-back. He's played right-centre-half. Like, what a man... What is Mowbray saying that I'm not? Because, like I say, I'm, I'm, I've been incredibly patient with Tony Mowbray. We all have. Um, and I think he has earned a lot of trust. But someone's got to try and explain this to me. like Because he came out after the game and said... Basically said, we only have one way of playing. He didn't say it in those words, but he might as well have. We only have one way of playing, basically, you know. He talks about how we've got lots of technicians and stuff, but we haven't got players at the other end of the pitch running behind and blah, blah, blah. To me, the issue is staring us in the face. We've not got enough physicality in midfield. He's continuing to pick Dan Neal, who's been crap for weeks now. Like, actually crap as well. I'm not just saying it because of some sort of agenda. He's, he's been terrible. Even the biggest Dan Neal fans cannot sit here and say he's playing well at the minute or playing well enough to play. We're, you know, and... He's a young lad, and when, when a player's playing as badly as that, take him out of the team. He lasted the entire 90 minutes. He got a yellow card in the first half, so he couldn't make a tackle. I'm just watching it. It was infuriating to watch. I couldn't believe what I was watching. For me, it the game was lost as soon as that team was selected because 0-9 had to play. And Phil's pointed out, uh, Pierre Ekwar there, why have we signed him if if we can't trust him in games like this? Like We, we said it... Um, we said if a, I think it was a Rotherham game, the Coventry game. Like, just when was the, when is the right time to play him? If you can't put him in a game, in a team, in a game like Rotherham, who was struggling at the time, and we knew we'd have to be physically up for it, then when are you going to start him? Are we going to see this lad play a game this season? Because if I'm him and I'm O'Neill, I'm looking at that today and I'm pissed off. And O'Neill, look, O'Neill has got every right to be pissed off because he couldn't have done more to prove himself as a central midfielder at QPR. And since then, he's been tret like a just just like a piece of shit on Mowbray's shoe, in my opinion. Coming on and coming on at left back, coming on at right back and right and left centre half, like it's it's infuriating to watch. And I'm I know I'm I'm getting riled up as I talk about it here, and it's, I know it's the night of the game, and you know maybe after a couple of days I'll feel differently, but. I just think these are self-inflicted issues from Tony Mowbray. He could have picked a physical midfield and we wouldn't we might have lost the game, but I tell you what, we wouldn't have lost 5-1 and we wouldn't have let them walk through us like we did. And that's the annoying thing, you know. I think um I think it was Craig you mentioned Ballard and Bart. They're getting no protection whatsoever. These are two quality defenders. They're getting no protection whatsoever. We've just got this massive void in the middle of the pitch where you've got Dan Neal who can't tackle, can't pass, he's getting booked every game. And struggling to stay in games, but he's staying on the pitch, and we're just rotating everything else around him. Um, and that's the other thing as well. The subs we're making don't make any sense whatsoever. No, it uh, to me this is just all self-inflicted. I, I don't think anyone wants to come in on that, but Mowbray's really got to look at himself. I thought he would do it after last week, and he hasn't. He's more of the same issues and sort of. Feeling sorry for yourself when he's talking the press, talking about we've only got one way to play, basically. Uh, sorry, like, but we, we we could have made changes today that wouldn't have lost us the game. Yeah. I mean, I think from my point of view, Gab, regarding 9 it seems to be a trust issue between Mowbray and himself. Now, what's going on behind closed doors? Only the player and his boss know. But it, it just seems to me that, that there seems to have been, I don't want to say breakdown in trust, but there seems to be a lack of trust there when there wasn't there before. I mean, we you know we saw that when 9 was playing at centre-back, for example, Mowbray was raving about him and he's always spoken highly of him. Even when he got sent off after the Swansea in the Swansea game, Mowbray said Luke's apologised, but he's got no need to because he's a smashing lad and all the rest of it. And something seems to have changed. But on the midfield, you're absolutely right, is that you know we know that when we're at our best, we're a very fluid, very you know creative attacking team. But at the moment, we're trying to do that without that solidity in midfield. And it's just, teams are walking through us as Stoke did today. You know, the, the goal Stoke scored today, what from a defensive midfield point of view, were absolutely elementary. You know, it's not as if they've, you know, you know played beautiful football. They've just done the basics and they've done them very, very well. And we've just paid the price for that. So 
Yeah, it, Mowbray is making some very, very strange calls, and at the moment, it seems to me that he's stretching that loyalty towards certain players too far, and it's 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 being detrimental to the team, guys. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Dan Neath is running on fumes at this moment in time for a start. But let's not get hung up on the the, the midfield too. Like, look, we know we got the we know we got the team selection wrong, but like I said, we had four attacking midfielders playing behind Gellard. Like four players who can all hold the ball, that can all take players on. They're all good players, and when they got the ball in decent positions in the final third, they did absolutely nothing with the ball. I mean, you can argue that they might not have had anything ahead of them, and that was the problem. But the thing is, they didn't even give each other options. Like even Ahmad, it took it took what? When was our goal? It took them like an hour for Ahmad and Roberts to actually get near to each other to play a, a ten yard pass to each other. I mean, like, don't get. I think we've we've <laughs> we've basically discussed that midfield, and that was. I, I'll never understand what was going through Mowbray's head to 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 put Rick Pritchard in there to you know to play Stoker. We're going to be up front and physical. It makes absolutely no sense. I don't also get what those those players because it was only Pritchard who came in. I don't get what those players did so right against Coventry that meant that they kept their place. For this game, I don't know how we can justify that and say, well, you know, he could have justified easy to say at this point, I'm making four or five changes, no problem, and nobody would have battled an eyelid because of the way they played in the last couple of games, and everyone would have said, fair enough. But let's not, I mean, we lost the midfield battle, yes, but I mean, those four players, and, and we can talk about Gellard as well, but especially those four players because they're, they're talented players. They they did absolutely nothing, produced nothing, you know, didn't didn't take advantage of getting the ball in um, decent positions. Um, you know, we can discuss the reasons for that, but they, they should be doing more. And they're not doing the fundamentals right. I mean, they were giving the ball away and just kind of watching the player kind of run away from them. They weren't busting a gut yeah. to get back. And so they're not getting the fundamentals right. Ahmad today was, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with him, but just doesn't look interested at the minute. I think he's he's gone from being like the the centre of attention to just he, he seems to be sulking a bit. I don't know, strolling around the pitch, Craig, and doing nothing really, and what giving the ball away and not trying to chase back for it. Something not right with him at the minute. You do run this risk though when you sign players on loan. We, I mean, if you think back to like the uh, the season under Gus Poyer, I think the last couple of games, Ke Sung Young was fairly similar as well. You know with all showered him with praise all season and then the last couple of games just seem like you just kind of give up because in a sense it's not really their fight to fight anymore is it and I think Ahmad's probably looking at it now and he does not look the same player that he did five six games ago I don't think it's down to you know fatigue or being overplayed or anything like that you're quite right just something looks different body language is all all completely different the link up player that he had with with Patrick Roberts all neat and tidy in possession I mean, Christ, I, I don't want to go back to the Coventry game, but I think his first four touches last week, he gave the ball away on each occasion. In the day, mm. again, just sloppy. But I think, look, this is what we're going to have over the course of the next 12 games or so. We're going to come up against teams with lots of different contrasts and styles. And we love this tippy-tappy stuff, all this technical stuff. But again, like I reiterate, you come up against pace and power and we can't cope. So even the likes of Ahmad and... And Jack Clark, Patrick Roberts, as good as they can hold the ball up, they're just getting shoved off very, very easily. And teams are just literally blitzing us. And we need to address this very, very quickly because, you know, we talk about goodwill and faith in the, in the manager and, and obviously the recruitment model and everything that goes with it. And I'll be honest, I was, I was surprised at full time today. I thought there would have been hell on in the ground. And we used the word apathy before we recorded. And I think the place just stunk a bit, in fairness. People were even applauding. I think most people had disappeared by oh, then. Was, it, look, it'd gone by yeah. then. It's, it city was now on empty by then. Look, point, look to be fair, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have a go at anybody for that. I, I've, I've often criticised people for leaving, like when we're winning and stuff. But today, if you want to piss off when you're 3-0 down, 4-5, whatever, that's fine. Go. Like, there was nothing worth staying for. They didn't deserve our support today. But what I found quite surprising was, as full-time, you normally would have expected people just to lash out, kick off and stuff like that. There was, there was none. I think people just went mm. home just in, in absolute shock. But what I don't want is I don't want that to sort of manifest into next week and people just think, right, the season's over and done with. Because, in a sense, we're going to start having to look over our shoulder a little bit with the the, the tough games that's coming up. It's not yeah. done and dusted, you know. So, like I say, the big chunk of the season left, even as mad as it sounds, 
there's still every possibility that you could get into the playoffs. You just need to make a late run for it. But but I, I, I don't know. I still can't get my head around what happened today. Just it was an no. absolute shit show. Yeah, Daz Vickerson on Twitter, Phil has asked, "Yeah, is the season finished?" And Craig, Craig just touched on it there. Like, where, where? I mean, that's just talk generally about direction and stuff. Like, where? Where's the season going from here? Like, we've got the next four games look horrible, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where where do we go from here? Mid table, I would say, Gav, is where we'll probably finish. To be perfectly honest with you, I don't think the playoffs are out of reach entirely. I think Craig's, you know, made a good point there is that, you know, one or two positive results and suddenly the whole picture changes. But this is the first time, Gav, where I'm just starting to have a little bit of concern about the attitude and the demeanour of the players because I've praised them all season. One thing I think we've spoken about this season really is the the never-say-die attitude of these players, you know, which has been instilled to, you know, in no small part by Mowbray. Um, But at the minute, heads are down, shoulders are slumped. The body language doesn't look quite right, which is understandable. You know, they've taken an absolute kicking over the past 10 days, you know, literally in, in terms of the Coventry and Rotherham games and metaphorically today as well. Um, where does the season go from here? Oh, it's tr- tricky to say because as Craig says there, you know, we've got some very, very tough games coming up. This is a squad we're going to have to go with. You know, the striker situation is what it is. Obviously, Joe Gelhart is continuing to kind of swim against the tide somewhat. It's going to be tough, guys, but I, 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 think we, I think we'll probably end up roughly maybe... 10th, 11th, 9th, something like that in terms of where we'll finish. Um, I think I, I don't, yeah, I'm not I'm not concerned about getting dragged further down the table, but I just think that the playoffs may be, again, not out of reach, but it's looking a little bit tougher now because the flaws in the team were exposed brutally today. I mean, you know, it was it was a real eye opener. I mean, we knew that the we knew that we struggled to mix it physically with teams, but today was an absolute, you know, it was a real showcase yeah. of that. And and you know, if, if you're in the playoffs, teams are going to hit you with pace and power. You know, how are you going to deal with that? And and at the moment, we're, we are so far off. And I'm not complaining about that, Gav. That's not me whinging and writing things off. I'm just saying, objectively, we can see where we're lacking at this moment in time and how far we've got to go to be a, you know, a promotion-worthy team. And we're not there at this moment in time. So um, I think that we could probably use these remaining games as a chance to blood some of the younger players. I'd love to see Isaac the Hadji come into the equation. I'd love to see Pierre, uh, Pierre Ecuador get some games. I'd love to see Abdullah Bar get some game time as well. We've got the options there, and this is what's frustrating. Mowbray can turn to his bench, but he doesn't seem to want to turn to his bench for whatever reason. So I think that, you know, use the, use these final games as a, as a chance to blood the youngsters, stay as competitive as you can, and learn the lessons. Because if we can't learn from a game like today, Gav, I really would have concerns. Yeah. Today, Phil, sorry for cutting in, Gav, today was the first time I actually heard somebody in my row in the southwest corner say, like, he needs to go after this result. And I got a few texts mm. from from friends and, and whatever afterwards. And they all said that that was a sackable result today. And I think if you look at the next four games, it's probably reasonable to suggest that the majority of our fan base, after enduring the last week or so, I think everybody will expect us to lose those four games against teams which are better than us, higher up the table. So, you know, although people are writing off the season, look, some people have wrote off the season. Like, you know, the tweets that, that, that come through say, you know, is the season finished with? It's not really in a sense. And I don't think we can get that, can't get that 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 side into our mental capacity at the moment because look, we're probably not going to go down. That It would would need an absolute disaster over the course of the next two months. But that being said, if we lose our next four games and that's what, seven defeats in a row, then all of a sudden the mood, the goodwill, everything will change. You know, with the, you know we had 43,000 there today and we got beat 5-1. Like I say, that's, that's arguably, in my opinion at least, that, that's the worst defeat I've ever seen. Only two teams in a league game have ever come and scored five goals at the Stadium Lies. Not Manchester United, not City, Tottenham, nobody like that. It was Coventry and Stoke. And at least with Coventry, we give them a game. But if yeah. you're trying to bring people into the ground, if you're trying to bring through the next generation as they're doing with these ticket incentives, and you put on a show like that... It was, it was mentioned about Tony Mowbray's mood and, you know, the way that he is demeanour. It's been mentioned in quite other few podcasts as well. And if you look at him today on the, the touchline, he looked like a broken man. Head in his hands multiple yeah, times. He, he was just piercing. And like I say, to be fair, I mean, it, it, I think people are perhaps right to question. So in terms of writing the season off, I, I don't think so. No, because like I say, we've, we've got to get through the next couple of games because we've got to determine one, is Tony Mowbray the right man to lead us into next season? And then basically we've got to look at the rest of the team and think, 
Some of these boys are the plan for their future. Pritchard, his contract's up, I think, at the end of the season. Danny Bart as well. There's a couple of people in there I know that we've got options on, but some of them are playing for their future. So I, I'd be somewhat disappointed. I know Mowbray's, you know, played down expectations and things like that. But if we're going to turn up every week over the course of the next two months and just think it's wrote off, then we might as well just pack in now. We'll, we'll just call it. We'll come back in August and we'll, we'll not worry about it until then. I honestly don't think yeah. as fans and players we can have that attitude. And look, I'm, I feel like I'm getting angrier as this is going on now. But I honestly think, I don't think as fans we can allow that to happen today. Like I say, there, there should have been a proper toxic like atmosphere you would have expected full-time today. It didn't happen. And I think a lot of people have got more patience with these players. This is the first time this has happened. So we'll go into it next week. And like I said, the players have got to stop this rot. And Tony Mowbray has got to look mm. at the options as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the questions and um, sort of topics for discussion we were set because we got quite a lot after the game, so I won't be able to go through and read out all of them. But quite a lot of them, Chris, are about recruitment. People obviously after a run of defeats, and you know, let's let's call a spear a spear. Like Gelhart is struggling big style, and he's the only forward we've got. So a lot of people now are calling, talking about recruitment. We've had people even saying, do we feel differently about the way we recruited in January? I mean, where are you at with that, Chris? Like, Do you feel any differently about the way things panned out in January as we sit here? Or are you still thinking longer term about things? Well, I feel, I feel exactly the same. I think because, you know, we, we talked about the recruitment and... Christian Speakman explained that it wasn't the fact that he wanted to go for the rest of the season with one striker. They put lots of late bids in to try and get the second one in and it didn't work out. And, you know, we, we just, you know, the situation changed and then the goalposts changed. And, you know, he, he kind of explained that. And, and that's the situation we landed in. The club didn't want that. We didn't want that. So, you know, it's not like... It's not like nobody... Everybody designed it that way. That, that, that was that. And we've got the squad we've got. But... Look, just on that point, yeah, we can we can point to recruitment and and that, but I still think these players, these players that this team could be managed better. It's as simple as that. I mean, we've pointed out major flaws in the last three games that we could that, and, and we've talked about results that we could have seen coming. I mean, Phil mentioned that before the game against Stoke that. You saw the lineup and you thought, well, you know, you know what's going to happen today. We saw the lineup at Rotherham. You thought, well, you know what's going to happen today. We saw the lineup at Coventry and you thought, God, we're going to get bullied here. You know it. And that's where, I mean, the, the lads are talking about Mowbray. And for me, I mean, I, I like the guy and I think he's done some really good work. But this last couple of weeks, the alarm bells are ringing. I mean, you're talking about the what's remaining for this season. Like, I want to come back to the fact that we're six points outside the playoffs for 11 games left. And if you take, the situ- if you take our current form and situation out, and just go with that plain fact. If you told me that in August, I would have snapped your hand off for that. Six points outside the playoffs, just 11 games. Yeah, two right. I'll, I'll have that. But bring the situation and the form in, you know, are we going to learn from our mistakes for the rest of the season? Because look, let's get back to the fact we're a good side and we've got some good players, but we're not being managed right. So we're in one hell of a position. I'd have taken that all day, but we've got, well, I think it's 11 games left and We've got the likes of Bennett, Lehaji, Barr, uh, Mishu, Equa on the bench today. All, for me, really exciting young players, but they need managing properly. And I don't think today the team we put out didn't give the 11 on the pitch a chance. And just quickly on, on Gellard, because I know you, that was kind of one of, one of them that the, what the question was about. For me, he needs to have a word with Gellard. And, and I know kind of, I don't want to kind of bring the mags into it, but I always remember when Bobby Robson went in Newcastle and Alan Shearer was having trouble because he was kind of, he was running sideways across the box instead of running towards goal. And if you watch Gellar today, he covered about five or 10 yards narrow in the middle of the pitch and he kept dropping 20 yards for the ball. And if I was one of his teammates or if I was Tony Mowbray, I'd be like, get away, like go up, move away from the ball, spin. The amount of times he had the opportunity to spin around the defender and get in behind like we're talking about uh, Jagielka at the back, 40-odd-year-old, and Gellard's a young kid. All he, like, What he should have been looking for was that first-time ball from Ahmad, Clark or Roberts. Right, I'm going to spin off him. I'm going to get him behind. You smack the ball over the top of him, and I'm in. 
But for some reason, Gellard was kept dropping and wanting the ball in, in our own half. And then he's he was under pressure and his touch was bad. And then he kept giving the ball away. He gave that, that free kick away. And he, after that, his confidence was shot. But he's running the wrong way. He needs to run towards their goal yeah. and get and get in behind them. So Mowbray's talking about one way of playing. And I don't agree with that at all. Because he needs to say to Gellard, you running behind and the lads behind him, they look for him. Because that's not happening at the minute, and and, and that's a simple solution. Yeah. Can I just but but in for a sec with what ten or eleven games to go, like you're saying, is it actually worth persevering with him? I'm I'm really loath to sort of like single anybody out for any major criticism because he signed on the expectation that he'd be playing alongside, say Ross Stewart, but he, at the moment he's clearly playing a role he's nowhere near capable of doing. And like Chris rightly yeah. mentioned today, his touch couldn't trap a ball, and I. Uh, it's hard to see what he's offering us. His goal at Rotherham literally was was dropped on his head, and he had a chance again. What ten minutes later? I'm just not convinced. Uh, he's a centre forward. Uh, I think his goal scoring record reflects that as well. And I'm just wondering to think, mm. realistically speaking, we're not going to sign him like yeah. at all. I know he's highly regarded elsewhere. So why why not play Dewey? Why not play Jewis and Bennett? I've I've said this as well, Craig, sort of privately. And I, I remember I said, I said even through the week, I said, you know, I. I I don't really want to drag anybody, and I, you know, I, I could probably say a lot more about what I feel about Gelhart, but I was like, what's the point? But you've got to like, I, I've actually said what you just said there. Is it worth persevering? He's not our player. We're not going to sign him, and it isn't working. And I actually think earlier in the season, without a striker, when we played a false nine, we were better. Mm. What we're doing now is not working. What and and yeah. it might just be a couple of games out the team, and it might sort them out. I don't know, but. At the minute, we are persistent with a player who isn't working. But on that, what you've just said, Gav, that's what I don't understand. You know, this like Mowbray after the game, scratching his head, going, I don't, I, I don't get this, I don't understand this, we've only got one way of playing. Well, we've already had a period of the season with without a striker with when we didn't yeah. have Ross Stewart and Ella Sims. And at some at points during that period, we played some of the best football this season. And I don't understand why now he just doesn't go back to that sort of system we were playing then. Maybe Clark is the is. I mean, don't don't get us wrong; it didn't work a hundred percent of the time, but it got mm-hmm. us it got us some points during that period. So why doesn't he, why does he play Clark as kind of that that person who is furthest forward and go back to that structure mm. that he had behind them? Well, me me mate turned to me when he made the subs at half time and said he's overthinking this. Like, why is O nine coming on at left back? It nothing, nothing made sense what he did today, and like, no. like I say, we we've been really, really fair with Tony Mowbray, but I think you just hit the nail on the head five minutes ago. I saw Chris when you said, you know, he's doing things now which are making us worry. That's the problem, and Blackburn fans told us this would happen. They did. They told us, and we just thought, eh, it's all right. You know, they told us this would happen. They said he gets to February March time and your form drops off a cliff. And I didn't really think much of it, but like it how it, it has to be to do with management because he just the thing like you point this out the other week, Chris, you you said something about, you know, when he comes out in the press and says things like we're tired, we we re- really could do without this game and all the rest of it. Like if he's saying that in front of the press, what is he saying to them behind the scenes every day? What what are we saying in team meetings? It's being negative for negative sake. Like we don't need that. I'm sure. I'm sure Tony Mowbray, with eight hundred odd games under his belt as a manager, knows how to manage a team. But what we're seeing at the minute is all over the place. Like the way we played earlier in the season, we we were very functional actually, and we had no striker. But we, I could still see what we were trying to do. And countless times this season, we've we've sat here on this pod and said we we can see the plan. We can see exactly what we're trying to do. Everybody looks like they know their job. That they have said that countless times this season. At the minute, we couldn't be any further from the truth, Phil, could we? It's it. This isn't. It, it, it. You could almost split the season in two. Sunderland are the first part of the season who were fantastic to watch and confident and free flowing, and then this Sunderland just it just feels so mismatch and wishy washy and just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, Craig just made a really good point there about Mowbray's body language on this on the touchline, and if you think back to say. The Rotherham game at home, which was his first game in charge, where we played really, really well and won. He was prowling around the touchline, looking every inch the man who, you know, we all wanted to see and we were all behind him and all the rest of it. But recently, 
he's looked really, really defeated in his body language on the touchline. And it's coming across in his interviews as well. And look, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination calling for Mowbray's position to be under any threat whatsoever because I think he's done a lot of good for us this season. I don't think we can forget that. We've played some great football. We've also had some good results. But at the moment, Gav, as you say, it's not working. And I just think at this moment in time, there's a lot of scrambled heads within the club. Mowbray, the players, there's no clear thinking going on. They're making things up on the fly. There's no real rationale with selection. The tactics are confused. And I think that's what these three consecutive defeats have done to us, to be honest with you. We've taken re three really, really heavy kickings. And, you know, you do worry about the impact today is going to have. Um, but just come, if I can just touch on what Chris just said about the recruitment there. You know, yes, January was mixed, to put it mildly, in terms of the players we brought in. But at the end of the day, Gav, you know, if you can drive an oil tanker through the gaps in your midfield, it doesn't matter how good your strikers are, you're not going to win games of football. You're not going to you're not going to be able to win those battles that are the foundations of any victory. So, yeah, obviously we know that we're missing Ross Stewart. We know that it would have been good to have Ella Sims to be able to call on, which is fine. But, you know, when you're losing the fundamental battles, when your midfielders are being overrun, as we are at this moment in time, and when you're looking so defensively shaky, it doesn't matter how good you are going forward, you're always going to struggle. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm not necessarily concerned with Mowbray yet. I do take your point about how, you know, things are looking a little bit shaky. But, you know, he is an experienced boss and I think ultimately we've just got to trust him. But I just wish that he would just kind of take the blinkers off a little bit and just be willing to sh to not be so low to these players, be a bit more ruthless and make the changes where necessary. What my biggest concern is though, Phil, is in the past week, I mean, let's look at Stoke today. The, the beat us 5-1, but... Yeah. They were absolutely shite. Like they were, they were terrible. Like for a team who scored five goals today, they were shocking. I know that it was all stop start. They were feigning an injury. Rotherham, crap, absolutely shocking. Yeah. And you look at Co Coventry had a, a a bit of a game plan, so to speak, but literally all of that was just just get it over to Gilkeres. Do you not think that there seems to be a blueprint, Craig? Now to play us, like every absolutely. team's playing the same way. Yeah, yeah. Pace yeah, and power. Is. People look at us and they think that we're a small, weak side. And they'll all use the same little expression to say that they're the gifted technical players, this, that, and the other. But as soon as they come up against somebody, just with a bit of nous, you look at Ben Pearson today, who I thought, to be honest, was was brilliant. And he he himself, in fairness, he played that role where he was dropping down and feigning injury and stuff like that. And they just took the sting out of the game completely at every given opportunity. And to be honest, I think if I was a Stoke fan, as mad as it sounds, I would have been a little bit disappointed with some of that in the last 10, 15 minutes. I think we've already scored five here and we're trying to slow it down get at them because like literally we were on the ropes at that point they could have they could have ran out even more comfortable today and that's what makes it a little bit more upsetting i think is like i say the fact is over the course of the past three games we have not played one decent side so you think when we've got to roll into norwich we've got burnley away coming up that's where we've got to start panicking i think because like i say again in terms of the way it's going i think today could potentially be tony mowbray's bolt in the way moment where things really start to hit the fan in terms of the team starts to unravel a little bit and we've got to learn very very quickly because these games coming up like i say we could get sucked in very very quickly and start dropping down the table got to start worrying i i, I do agree with phil though that this is Mowbray's first real bad patch this is his first big yeah. wobble and i think to go down the route of you know, let's say let's say we did pull the trigger off off one result. I mean, I know we did with Lee Johnson, and it eventually paid off. But you you can't get that right every time. And if we oh, I'm start, not saying sack him to be fair, Chris. I'm not saying I'm not saying sack him, but I, I, there will be some will, people saying that be, yeah off that result, off that one result. But I'm sure Speakman and you know whoever is going to review that at, at the end of the season and see where we're going with Mowbray, see if that's the right direction. But you know. But like I said, it's it's kind of those longer term alarm bells that are ringing. And what he needs to do, as as Gav mentioned, I was talking about that where he keeps raising this. He kept raising fatigue for two weeks, which again must have been getting through the players, and the players are going, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm tired." The Gaffer Gaffer tells us I'm tired. But the other thing he keeps mentioning as well, every game for the last four or five weeks, I'm quite happily probably pay money if there's a press conference where he he hasn't mentioned Ross Stewart. Or a post game interview where he hasn't mentioned the loss of Ross Stewart, and instead instead of saying, "Oh well, we haven't got Ross Stewart, so we can't play," I mean, he needs to be telling his players like, "We're full of good players, and we 
you know, we, we can play without him. And yes, he's a big loss, but we've got fantastic footballers and, you know, it's not it's not that much of a problem, you know. Like, it's the whole psychology thing with Tony Moby. If if I was if I was his employee listening to him, I'd be like, oh, God, everything's shit all the time. Just because mm. it's it's that... I mean, at some point, I just want him to lift lift people by saying yeah Ross Stewart's out but look we've got these we've got these players and they're fantastic and they can do the job because he's almost telling them they can't <laughs> and it's just yeah I, yeah. I, I don't get it I, I feel I feel like part of him wants to say more and be more honest about how he actually feels about this squad quite it feels quite clear to me he he wishes he had more experience to call upon and he doesn't have it because he just keeps talking about how we don't have it, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I think he would like to be a bit more honest about it. I mean, the thing is, Gav, is that we've, we've been speaking about this for quite a long time, is that what Mowbray has done is he's created a safe space for these young players to be able to perform. And Chris has mentioned this, you know, where you know we, we've learned to tolerate the mistakes that the players are making because they're young and they're developing and they're going to go through if he spells a form. But the problem that Mowbray has got now is he seems to be giving them a bit of a cop-out, really, with this fatigue thing. And I know that the schedule is remorseless and when, I know that it's punishing. And, you know, a lot of these lads are playing at this level for the first time and it's going to be tough for them. But at the same time, you know, f- there was 43,000 fans turned out today, as Craig said. 43,000 fans paid good money to watch the serve up that complete dross. Now, I don't care how, you know fatigue you might be we've had a week off the players should have been up for that game and to my mind they didn't look as if they were and I think that's the most damning indictment you can give any Sunderland team is where the players don't look up for it and they lack they lack that today for me and that was the really disappointing thing and if that's coming from Mowbray as you said we don't know what's been said behind closed doors but if he's basically telling them you know not to worry and all the rest of it that's a concern because these players should be going into every game hell bent on winning it yeah and like we we were talking about this on um I think on the Twitter space we did where I said you know for a number of weeks now and we've we've covered this off a lot Mowbray has made that excuse and he's he, you know he said we need the rest we need the rest we could do with a break the players are tired blah 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 he had a week off he had a week off he keeps talking about um you know how we've we've had no real time to sort of analyze performances because the games have just been coming every few days you know, and it's all it was all very valid stuff, you know, but he had a week to prepare. We had a week between Coventry and this, and that's what we served up. Yeah. And like I just keep coming I just keep coming back to this thing. I mean, it, sort of the more we've talked about this on this pod, it's been quite cathartic in a way. But the more the more we've talked about it, I just keep coming back to this thing that it's management. And yeah. th- that he's not you know, it like basic management, like his interview after the game, he said that we've watched Stoke for a couple of weeks and we've seen that they're a counter-attacking team. So he picked he picked a side that that just wouldn't couldn't deal with the counter-attack. He, he put he left Dan Neil on his own and the rest were bombing on. And mm-hmm. I, I don't get it because he, he actually said Stoke are going to play this way and he didn't set up to to counter it. And did you see? Did you hear Alex Neil's interview? Because he that's what he said as well. He said, you know. We knew Sunderland would want lots of the ball, so we picked a physical big team because that's our strength. Yeah. Like, and and Mowbray and he, that interview you're talking about, Chris Mowbray in that interview said that he's watched Stoke a lot this yeah. week yeah. and seen where they're strong. Yeah. I, I, he's going to have to explain that one to us, like because that that is up there with some of the most brainless decisions I've seen in recent years to go with a one out of form central midfielder paired with a what would you call Pritchard? He hasn't really been a regular this season. Certainly not in, in central midfield. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, and I know he got the goal, but he wasn't great. Like at some point, we have to we have to see signs that he's he's actually listening. Because I've I've touched on it in the last few weeks, where I feel almost as though we're treating this first team like it's an extension of the academy. Like I feel as though a big part of the the decision making with selecting certain players is because we just want to give them experience we want to give them minutes but what we saw last year under Lee Johnson was that when Dan Neal plays too much football it's counterproductive he's not he's not doing his job he's not good enough we're not seeing the best from him like 6 weeks ago maybe somewhere around that time around when we played Fulham in the FA Cup he was at the peak of his powers. He was brilliant. He was he was running games. 
I remember coming on this pod and saying we haven't really missed Corey Evans because Dan Neal's replacing him well. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And but but now like again it comes back to management. There has to be some logic behind continually picking him, leaving him on the pitch for 90 minutes when he's on a yellow card and not playing well. Like what is the thinking behind that? Because if anybody's got that answer, by the way, shout up. Because I haven't I just can't get it. We're not saying Dan Neal's a bad player. I think we said this on the pod the other day. We're not saying he's a bad player. He's clearly not a bad player. He's going to have a very good career. He's a very good footballer. But there also has to be some accountability, even for young players. Like, Dan Neal has made that exact same mistake that he made for that second goal. How many times this season? I've actually give give up counting how many times he's lost us possession and we've either conceded a goal or nearly conceded a goal. These are the And that mean, that to me tells me he is not learning and the manager is not learning. The manager is not, not working with him on that. And yeah. it, these are all, I mean, they might sound, seem like minor concerns, but when it's happening every week, it's tough. I mean, I think with Dan Neal, it, it seems to me that Mowbray has given him chances to, to you know, atone for his mistakes. But the problem is, it, by doing that, he's flogging him more and more and more. Neil's energy levels are dropping and dropping, and therefore he's making more mistakes. And it's just becoming a, it's just, it's just becoming a, you know, that we're getting locked into this kind of downward spiral, really. But I mean, Craig mentioned earlier on. He, he said he didn't think Stoughton would cop today. I think functional would probably be the best word you could use to describe him today. I mean, they were very well drilled, and you know, you might have to hold your nose when you say it. But I think you've got to give credit to Alex Neil today because he did a number on us yeah. with those Stoke players. He knew what he knew how we were going to play. He set them up to be confrontational, to be aggressive, to be use a bit of pace. And it paid off handsomely. So I've got no problems in giving Neil credit for that. But I mean, I think on, on Mowbray's, you're just coming back to Mowbray, Gavin. You know, he's he has been incredibly loyal to these players. I think that's obvious. He, he has given them every opportunity to impress. And they have done that for, for, you know, vast, you know, sections of the season. But the problem is, you know, every good manager knows when a player is struggling, when he's flagging a little bit, and when it's time to take him out. It's obvious that Dan Neil is at that stage now. It's obvious that Dan Neil would benefit from a game or two out with the team. We've got players who can, who can replace him. As you said, what is Mowbray seeing that you know that that we aren't that that, that you know Neil is somehow going to just come good all of a sudden? You know he might well have a great performance next time out, but it looks unlikely at this moment in time. So again, as I said earlier, I think he's stretching that loyalty a little bit too far at this moment in time for me. Yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. It's a it's a tough one to try and muse on. Really, this game. It's just I, I I'm trying to look for a way forward and. In my head, I'm like, well, yeah, let's let's go with a different midfield in the next game, but that that might not be the answer, you know. And and it's it's not like to be honest when you when you when you look back at it, right? Stoke, Rotherham, Coventry, those are games. Particularly looking at the ones ahead, where we had to pick up points because these are going to be tough games, really tough games. Yeah. I think Sky put a stat on the screen. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was around sort of points against the top half versus points against the bottom half. And our points tally against the sides in the top half is pretty poor, actually. I think we've got one of the worst returns in the league. That doesn't bode well for these games, nor does it bode well that... like I, I can In my head, I'm thinking, right, pick Onai and pick Ekwai, just try something different, try and be more physical. But I, I don't think is going to do that. So my worry is, is that we're going to pick... Dan Neal and Michu in the next game in midfield. And I keep coming back to Dan Neal. I know people must be thinking I've got it really in for him or something, but it's not that. I've actually, I'm just, I'm annoyed at the manager for continuing to pick this this lad because it's just not working. But but I said, even I said during the week, even if, you know, you don't necessarily have to kind of pick an extra attacking player to be more attacking. I said, to actually help Dan Neal, you could have put him alongside Luke O'Nine and Ekwe in midfield like you could have put them as a as a as a trio as a solid like Stoke did three. like Stoke did with their midfield uh, yeah. yeah exactly as a solid as a solid three in midfield and then even though you've taken one of Robert Ahmad and Clark out or, or Gellard even even if you've taken mm-hmm. one of those four out we might end up being more attacking because you've got the, that three in midfield who were winning the ball and winning the battle in there and, and letting everyone play and the other thing is then there's no emphasis on you know, whoever's playing in those forward positions, Roberts, whatever, Clark, I mean, they don't have to get back as much because you've got those three saying, look, we're protecting the back four. We'll try and bomb on in the box if we can, like one of the three. But if if nobody would have battered an eyelid today if 
if like I said, it was a it was a three, you know, if Onan came in, if Equa came in, if Ahmad dropped out for Lihaji or Bennett or Barr, nobody would have batted an eyelid if he'd made four or five changes. I think actually you would have heard a bit of kind of excitement in the crowd because he's changed things up because the last two games were so stale and flat that we needed that lift of like fresh blood in the team. And like I said, nobody would have batted an eyelid. And like, like I said, it he's he's trying to be more attacking. He's trying to help our forward play in the final third by leaving us exposed in midfield. But he didn't mm. have to do that. And I said during the week, put an extra midfielder in and then you've got three and let the rest do do what they do and give them the time and space. Yeah, yeah. And let the other the couple of other things, Craig. You know, you look at we had actually advantages in this game during the game. They had a centre half go off injured, and the goalkeeper played most of the first half injured by all accounts, and end up going off at half time. So you know, we could have took advantage of that, and we didn't. That's one of the big irritating things for me is that you know, if we smelled blood and and thought. Let's have, let's have a bit of a go at them. They've got a defender playing injured. They've got a goalkeeper playing injured or whatever. Then we could have taken advantage of that, and we we never looked a real threat in front of goal. One of the first things Chris said it was just you know we just never looked we never looked like scoring we never looked like creating anything. What is it that's missing? Because we've praised Clark's finishing this season. We've praised Robertson Ahmad's link up play. We've already talked about Gelhart and his lack of impact, so we don't need to go back over that. But like. Is it as simple as we aren't picking the right central midfield to set the rest of the team up, or is it is it something else entirely? Um, I mean, to be fair, if you you look at the last three games, we we didn't really start competing until you go two goals down in in each respective game, so that's fair to highlight straight away that the majority of your team selections enough. Game to day, you think you learn from said lessons, and like you said, there could have been multiple changes and things like that. But I just genuinely think now teams are starting to become more alert as to what we can do and what we can offer. You've noticed in past games that teams are now doubling up when Ahmad gets the ball, when Roberts gets the ball. So, you know, their their opportunities now are becoming a little bit more limited, I would say. But um I just I think in the past week I, I felt like this this the team doesn't have any sort of bravery. I, I didn't see any bottle or any fight today and and that was one of their the harder things to take. I think a prerequisite for any Sunderland side, you expect them to go out in front of a big crowd like that and fight. And, and literally just get stuck in. You take a yellow card sometimes where you need one so you can just lay a marker on a man and say, actually, we're here too. And we're going to give you just as good back as as what we're getting. And look, to be fair, people are blame refereeing decisions and, and stuff like that. And we know they're absolutely shit, but we can't keep going on about things like that. We can't keep looking for excuses. Ultimately, we're shooting ourselves mm. in the foot because we're just not competing. And Yeah, well, just on, on that, Craig, sorry to put in, mate, but on the first goal... It was a combination of both those things because obviously everyone's up in arms because the referee... The, we had the ball. They had a player down. The ref stopped the game. They got the drop ball from the goalkeeper and then score from it. And that was irritating, yes. But what was more... Everyone around me is kicking off at the referee and I'm more irritated at just how soft we were. They yeah. literally went from yeah. the goalkeeper. I walked down the right-hand side of the pitch and scored. It was so soft. And you've just said there, bottle. Like, where was it? It's non-existent. And like I say, in mm. terms of... I mean... It's a completely different sort of incident of sorts, but like last week, Coventry driving forward with the ball, their man's on the deck. Lo and behold, they're not bothered about putting it out because they think that they can score. We get the ball, we'll put it out. And I, I, I just can't get my head around that. It's like you said today, they're right back. They they got the ball and they just scooted up the pitch. I personally had no issue with how quick that happened because there was an incident where Dan Ballard in the first half was stood on the pitch and he was he was down for a couple of minutes. He was holding onto his ribs or whatever. Um, and the referee just kind of allowed him to to continue as normal. He didn't send him off the pitch or anything like that. So that's not an issue for me where I'm pointing at the referee going, you know, you've done X, Y, and Z. We just need to be a bit smarter and we, we need to stop looking for these excuses because like our, our lack of awareness is just becoming more apparent every single week. It's almost like inactions happened and then we're picking up on it going, oh Christ, did somebody do this or did somebody do that? And it's it's just, it's not there. Like literally, mm-hmm. and I think there's a frustration creeping in where the players are pointing at each other and looking to blame one another. And really, as a as a unit at the moment, we're just non-existent. And I think that's the first time you've seen it as a team with looks somewhat fractured. But like I say, need to stop 
stop this thing where we're pointing and looking for excuses. Ultimately, at the moment, we're just our own worst enemy. Yeah, and that's that's two weeks, two games in a row where the opening game we've been whinging to the referee. Like, I, I don't get us wrong; the referees have been crap, but I, I don't want the ref I don't want the referees to distract from our failings at the minute because it's an easy mm-hmm. cop out, and I, I don't want. Yeah, it, it's not it's not worth talking about the referees because we know they're crap, but. The referees not to blame for us only having one shot and target or whatever in the whole game and not creating anything. That's not down to the referee. But it's the second game in a row where they've the opposition have opened the score when we've been whinging about something mm-hmm. we weren't happy about. Like yeah. last week it was that it was the foul on Gellart. We we were like caught whinging about it. I think you pointed out Gav that Danny Bart was out of position because we were whinging about the decision. And then this week like we were still whinging about the drop ball and we just watched them, as you said, Gav, knock the ball down the right hand side. Three passes. Three passes down the line. One yeah. <laughs> and then the last one was inside and then he he put it across. And we just we were five yards behind because we were too busy going, Oh no, hang on, the the referee should you know, that that's not right. <laughs> we didn't we didn't get on with the game. That's two games in a row where we've just ended up whinging. And teams know that we just whinge and and we get wound up by it. And it's it's something we have to cut out. Yes. So um, next up is Norwich. Where do we go from here, Phil? Like, what Norfolk. do you want to see, and where what what do you want to see, and what do you expect to see? Well, where do we go? It's the land, we're we're off to the land of Alan Partridge, aren't yeah. we? For a start, so um, it it should be interesting. And um, I just want to see fight, Gav. I want to see resistance. I want to see us dig in, and I want to show. I want us to show. What we didn't see today, because as you know, as as um, Craig and Chris have just alluded to, there, you know, we lacked bottle today, big time, and that's not acceptable for a Sunderland team. And it's one of the very few instances this season where I really felt as if the players kind of just gave up. I mean, I know I understand it's demoralising when a team's you know walking all over and the opposition fans are you know giving it the all there and all the rest of it, but you've still got a job to do. You've still got to be professional, and I felt that by the end we just effectively down tools and they just couldn't wait to get off the pitch, and that was disappointing. So. We know it's going to be a tough game down at Carrow Road. You know, they're doing. You know, they've. You know, they're a formidable team down there. They've got some very good players. I thought they were really good when when they came up um, to play us actually in, in the first fixture. But I just want to see us, Gav, go down there and and get back to what we do best, and that's being a tight knit unit. Craig just touched on it there. We're not playing as a cohesive unit at this moment in time. We're playing as individuals, and there's just a little bit of you know players pointing the finger and this and that. We've got to cut all that out because you know Norwich aren't going to show us any mercy. I mean, if we think Coventry and, and Stoke were you know functioning and ruthless today, Norwich will be exactly the same. So we've got to go down there. We've got to be you know we've got to get back to that team spirit that's carried us through a lot of you know tough patches this season, and we've got to get that back. So, but I, I do think Gavin. I know you know I, I must sound like I'm you know I'm banging my head against the wall here, but Mowbray has got to make changes. He has to freshen it up. He has to shore things up. He has to start getting some of the players that he hasn't yet trusted into the equation because unless they're actually given the opportunity, we're not going to know how they can contribute. So that's what I want to see. I'd like to see um, a fresher starting eleven against Norwich and I'd like to see a new attitude from the team. I think we need to get back to being functional, committed and hard-working because yeah. we lack that today. Yeah. Just to reel off a few things to you, Chris, since uh, mid-January, Norwich have put four past Preston, four past Coventry, they've put three past Hull, three past Birmingham, two past Cardiff and three past Millwall today. Oh, the way we're defending, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Nice. it but it, it it doesn't, like that doesn't bother us because, I mean, I've come back to this a few times this season. I think... And, and and watching the teams in this division, Craig Craig like hit the nail on the head earlier on that like like we we're getting beat off teams that are, are crap. I mean, you look at them. I mean, they, they might be well organized, but they're, they're not good football insides. And we're lacking some of that like the organization. But we're we're a really good side. And I think when we go into games, actually, I, I don't really care who it is in this division because we've shown against we were the better side against Sheffield United. We played Burnley off the park for 45 minutes. We've shown that we can beat anybody in this division on our day, but I'm more concerned about us because it's about us. It's about how we turn up to Norwich because we've got the players to go to Norwich and win the game and we're good enough to go to Norwich and win the game. It's, are we going to be managed well enough? Are we going to be set up? Are the players going to be given half a chance? And is he going to be put, is he going to give the players who are out of form you know, is he going to hook them for a game? 
And is he going to is he going to pick the right first eleven? And is he going to put them in the right system? That's my main concern. I mean, if we could be playing anyone next weekend. I I think we could beat anybody, but we need to be set up right. Yeah. Any closing thoughts from you, Craig? Uh, like I said, you you only appear when you're angry. Are you are you are you more <laughs> angry after talking for an hour? Yeah, pretty fed up to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no Sunderland and uh, the way that we are wouldn't surprise us if we went to Norwich and won one nil. I think I think we're quite an unpredictable team, especially this season. But yeah, I think everybody's addressed the same points. Basically, gotta have a look at the options that we've got, and we're, we've just got to get our shit together now. Because like I say, we we've take today's result away. We've had a pretty good season so far. We know the the issues. Yes, we should have multiple strikers. That's you know in quest for the end of the season or whatever. But uh, we can't let the season get away from us because if we, you know, finish mid table or whatever, we probably all would have took that at the start of the season. But um, like I say, we just need to basically show that what we're worth and and yeah, basically try and kick on again. Because like I say, you know, you look at a couple of teams; they're all out of the equation. Blackburn have now won what four in a row, things like that. It only takes one or two positive weeks to get you shooting back up the table. And like I say, reasonable to suggest. A lot of people are going to be anticipating that we're going to lose the next few. So let's just stop the Ross and hopefully get kicking in the right direction again. Yeah, well, that would pull us, obviously, three points close at the Norwich. We were in really good form, put us uh, three points behind them. So by that point, though, I think we play Sunday dinner time. We could, uh, we could drop even further. Just looking at the table now, we've got West Brom, a point behind us in a game in hand. Below us, we've got Preston, two points behind. We've got Hull uh, are only four points behind, um, and the the table really it's it it's starting to shape up a little bit more. I think we've spoke yeah. quite a lot this season about how there's nothing really between the teams in the playoffs and further down. But if you look at the sides around the playoffs, you know Middlesbrough have, Middlesbrough's forms decent. Blackburn, as you've just mentioned, Luton have won two of the last five, so they've dropped off a little. Norwich have won four of the last five. Coventry have won four of the last five who are just outside the playoffs and then after that you can see the drop off and you know like I say I'm not I'm not worried about getting dragged into a relegation battle because I think we're well clear of that if you look Blackpool are 17 points behind us it would take a, a major slump for us to to slide that far down the table um, I think it you know just to round off the conversation really something that's been a theme of this entire podcast has been that Mowbray has to manage the team better. That's simple, really. It sounds so rudimentary, and um, I'm sure he's lying in bed tonight, you know, tossing and turning, thinking about what he could and couldn't have done. But I don't know. I just think that as a um, bunch of lads on a podcast to um, have no experience in top-level football management, um, you know, we give our opinions and we 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 say what we say, really. And I think, you know, we're not alone in pointing out, you know, some of the errors that we've seen from Mowbray in the last couple of weeks. I think they've been pretty obvious. You know, we're not we're not sitting here searching for for really difficult answers. You know, we can see the issues. It's whether he wants to recognise those issues. It's whether he wants to, you know, stop persisting with players that aren't working. We've mentioned Joe Gelhart. I know we don't have another striker, but he might have to find another way of playing just for a couple of weeks to get our foot back on the on the floor and, and, and get moving again. You know, players like Dan Neal who are struggling. We've got lads in reserve probably chomping at the bit just to just to get a chance. I know Joey Joey's name's been mentioned a few times. Pierre Equa, who came here from West Ham full of promise. Um Abdullah Barr, who has been very patient this season, he hasn't really been given a run of games. Like, to me, we are safe. And I want to probably what I would love to see now is some of those other lads get a chance. And then if if after four, five, six games we're sitting here and we're talking about how the you know they're not really up to it yet or they're not ready, fair enough. But it's been very uninspiring in recent weeks, and that's that's the frustrating thing. Let let's give ourselves a lift. As Chris said, Norwich, um, you know Norwich are a good side, but we can beat anyone our day, and it's about how they're managed. And yeah. You know, we'll be back later in the week with a preview pod, and we'll talk hopefully a little bit more optimistically about this game as we get closer to it. But yeah, it's just been tough tonight, and I, I'm sure lots of people listening to this will um will 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 associate with how we feel because it's been tough, and it's it's 
the first time this season where we've sat and and really analysed Mowbray and his position and his decisions because I think he's had a lot of he's had a lot of leeway from the fans. The fans have been very patient with him and have given him a lot of credit when it's been deserved. And um, you know, we have to be fair and we have to we have to point out some of the deficiencies in the in the management and the team. And um, can only hope it gets better. That's the 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 only other thing, you know. Try and remain positive, even with four really horrible looking games coming up against teams. I mean, Burnley are top. Um, we've got Luton who are fifth, Norwich who are sixth. I can't remember who else is in that mini run of games, but um, I'm and you know we've got some tough games coming up. So trying to remain positive is tough, but we will endeavor i'm sure so thanks uh thanks boys for joining us on this um saturday night it's been a long one thanks God. it's been emotional uh, cheers chris cheers phil no cheers craig i'll see you all in 12 months for the next annual <laughs> humiliation <laughs> <laughs> yeah cheers to the listeners thanks for joining us once again thank you to everyone who sent questions and topics and stuff on twitter there are tons i literally couldn't have went through them all we would have been here for another three hours i think uh thanks to Everybody who did as I said the other day and liked and subscribed and all the rest of it, thank you very much for that. And uh, make sure you catch up with rotereport.sbnation.com right throughout the week as we build up to that Norwich game. It's going to be a long uh, seven days or so till then. But uh, yeah, we will be with you every single day trying to lift your spirits, maybe trying to dig deeper into some of the issues around Sund at the minute and the team. And hopefully by the time we've played Norwich afterwards, you'll be hearing some uh, happier chappies on this podcast Uh, so yeah thank you very much for joining us and we'll catch you next time cheers ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. AdWanted UK is the provider of single-source media data for agencies, media owners, brands and academic institutions. And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the-media-leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader from AdWanted UK.